Welcome to Women Igniting Change, the place to be for women leaders and decision makers who are passionate about changing the world and determined to act. I'm your host, Robin Jorgensen, former corporate executive, global speaker, and founder and CEO of Women Igniting Change. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, changemakers. Welcome back to the Women Igniting Change podcast. I am Robin Jorgensen. And today in the studio, I have with me Kay McMahon. She has been called golf's most important person. She's in the LPGA Hall of Fame. She's played in three U.S. Women's Opens and is one of LPGA's top 50 best teachers. And she is on a mission to simplify how golf is taught and to get more women on the golf course. Kay, welcome to the show. Well, Robin, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm so thrilled to dive into this conversation. So your journey in golf is amazing. What first drew you to the game and how did you find your passion in teaching it? Well, I can say that growing up as a child, that my parents wanted us to play everything. It was just, we had a neighborhood full of kids. We played everything, you know, from football to dolls. If I played dolls and my brother played dolls, if he played football, I played football. And my dad, when we were probably five or six years old, built a little three-hole golf course around the yard with little flower pots and flags and cut down the greens. And then I always say we were entrepreneurs at an early age because it was a dime to play nine holes and a penny for the club and balls. But the biggest thing was that at the garage, we sold lemonade, of course. And um, But mom made the lemonade and we kept the money. So it was really pretty good. So we played golf. <laughs> it was a good start, I have to say. So you talked about, and we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, You've talked about living out of your Volkswagen van at one point early in your career. And for those that are listening, you know, holding on to that dream and that passion and moving through any obstacle to make it real sometimes is tough. So what kept you going toward holding on to that dream when you're literally living out of your van? Well, I could say stupidity or perseverance. <laughs> Um, it really wasn't stupidity, though. So it was, you know, you, you talk about my my the progression of golf, and I, I actually didn't like golf as I was kind of growing up later on as a, as a young teenage girl. But then after college, I started playing golf a little bit, and then I got better really fast. And I actually won two state uh, pub, pub links uh, in Minnesota public amateurs. And I said to myself, Oh, I can be, you know, I can pursue my dream of being famous and being a great golfer, et cetera. So I bought a Volkswagen van after college and my poor mother stood there and just went, we paid for this college education and you're going up to California <laughs> to live in a Volkswagen van. And so off I went, um, you know, because at that time, you, you know, in your, your early 20s, you think you know everything and there's no fear. But it 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 became... Um, there was very few places for us to play as amateurs, and so I did turn professional. But living in a Volkswagen van, you become like a pioneer almost. Um, I, I did, you know, I, I always stayed in safe places, like overnight, like I stayed in Danny's parking lots, um, so that there was always somebody around, so that I was mm -hmm. relatively relatively safe. And there were times I did stay with friends and, you know, did that. But it was really pursuing the dream of wanting to be, really good and getting on the LPGA tour. That's where I wanted to be. And that's, so you just kind of kept going, but there were some, some pretty cold nights and sometimes I'd get up and sometimes one of the best places I stayed in was the churches were open at the time. 
But it, so at four, five o'clock in the morning, I'd go sit in church because it was a little bit warmer. Not that anybody was there. <laughs> it was adventuresome. I'll put it that way. It sounds very adventuresome. So what has been your biggest influence or motivator throughout your journey in golf? I think, you know, the reason I wanted to, I, I knew I was a good athlete and I was pursuing a dream and I did have my college education and physical education and health. But I went on pursuing the dream because I really, I had this backwards. I really wanted to be a great player on the LPGA Tour so that therefore then I'd have a bigger name so it'd be a great teacher. And after I tried nine times at the LPGA qualifying school and missed by a shot three times, um, you kind of get a little depressed, and but you keep going. And so then I actually did join the LPGA and I got a good job in the golf industry working for Arnold Palmer a long time ago, but I kind of had it backwards. I mean, I knew I wanted to teach and I really like teaching and I was born to teach. And I, I think that that's what kept me going. My playing experience really has given me a lot of great background uh, to be able to teach too, though, because, you know, I've got some pretty good competitive players. Um, so I, I would say it was, I guess it was just that, that you're just pursuing the dream as long as you can. It, lots of times, though, I was pretty broke, <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> lots of times. Yeah, I love that you just said you've always known that you were meant to be a teacher. Because I think, you know, we all have those innate talents and gifts. And I think especially as women, we tend to minimize what those are and instead do what society and culture tells us we should do instead of what we know we're meant to do, especially around affecting some type of change. So I love that you listen to that. And I still want to invite our listeners to do the same thing. Like pay attention to what you know you are meant to do and go do that. Yeah. And sometimes you just, you stumble into it. You know, at first I thought, I don't really want to get into physical education because it just seemed like it was too male jockeyish or something like that. No. But it, it just, I kept getting thrown back into it and going, you're a good athlete. You do this and you, you know, I could see movement and I could tell people how to, to do something and to get better. And it, that's the fun about teaching is that I want, I mean, so going to your listeners too, I would say sometimes we don't always listen, you know, to ourselves and people are saying, go do this. This is what you're good at. And you go, no, that doesn't sound like it's right. But um, to really uh, going to, to your passion too, is we, it's hard to sometimes sit back and just listen and say, I'm pretty good at this. Let's, let's do it. And to say you're good at it. Right. Yeah. And to say, hey, I'm really good at this. I mean, there was a time when I first started teaching at a, at a pretty private country club. And I said, oh, by the way, I'm in the top 10% in the United States of teachers. Nobody knew me. I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> but because that kind of was a goal, now I can say I'm in the top 5% uh, of the teachers in the United States. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've talked about how the first mini tour that you played on when you turned pro, it was a combination of men and women. And then after the first two weeks, the only other woman dropped out and you were the only woman left standing with a hundred or so men. So in some industries, sadly, in 2023, that ratio still holds true for women decades later. So why do you think progress has been so exhaustingly slow? Well, you're absolutely right. Um, I wish I really had the answer. If we had the answer to that, we can identify that we can identify the problem, but we're not identifying the solution. Um, 
Well, at the time for, for women or girls in sports, there was no Title IX. So the Title IX really gave us a great opportunity to start girls coming up through college that had equal opportunity to play. I mean, we had no place to really play. Right. Um, I will say this about playing the men's mini tour when I did turn pro. I mean, me and 150 guys or 100 guys, it wasn't bad odds at all. Um, actually, it was actually kind of fun. But the interesting thing was that they were very supportive. All the men when I was out there were, yeah, were very supportive. Now, one of the things they were supportive about was because whenever we went into a new town to play, I got all the press. Whether the press was there because here's this girl playing with a hundred guys. Right. Okay, so they really enjoyed that because they were getting pressed. It wasn't always about them, but it was at least it was about the tour that we were playing on, which was very helpful. But I can remember one time I was leading one of their tournaments, and um, I had birdied the first three holes. I was feeling sick. It was really cold. It was really windy, and I was starting then to fall apart on the backside. The guys I was playing with actually helped coach me, get me all the way through it. So I stayed calm and didn't get nervous. So there, there were some advantages of doing that. Um, but to go to your question about it is slow. I mean, of, of the progress of, of women being equal partners. I mean, if you think about the LPJ and the PJ, it's, it's, it's two different worlds. There's a lot more men out there and it's still a male dominated sport. Right. Which you're out to change, which I love. <laughs> well, hopefully before the, uh, yeah, before the, we're, we're trying to change it. And I think getting more women involved, the LPGA has come a long way since, I mean, that was started by 13 women um, in 1950. And um, many of those women that started that have been my mentors. Um, and one of them just passed away at the age of 92. And oh, she wow. was. She, I know. She was still out there going strong. She was going to the Solheim Cup. She was traveling here. She was going there. She's doing podcasts. I mean, I'm just trying to spread the word and talk more about women should be playing, being out there in the world, because it's going to get at you your foot in the door into corporate situations, which is your background. 100%. So was there a particular moment or experience that really solidified your commitment to disrupting the way that it's traditionally taught? This, this could disrupting traditional teaching is is difficult. You get a lot of people. The reason I want to disrupt teaching, okay, the way it's being taught, is that I think it should be simplified. And yes, there was a, a major moment that um, I've come up with a system that, as you know, you, you've experienced, which we call Golf Eight Point Five. Mm -hmm. And people always say, "Well, what's that about?" Well, I was teaching a, um, a workshop for. A number of professionals, and um, I did it the old traditional way of getting set up and asked about six guys, people, I'll just say, to get up and to tell me what I would have to do. Each guy gave me about two to three things that I had to do in before I could even hit a golf ball, so I could get set up. So that was 12 to 18 things that I had to do, you know, the traditional things, arm straight, do this, stick your rear end out, and then all of a sudden, all this stuff, and then relax. Like, good luck. <laughs> so I had been teaching what I call, what we call the four pre-swing principles of GCAP, uh, which are the order that you do something in. So I made each one of them set up, and they did exactly what I had said. This is the order we do it, and we, we, we we're teaching it incorrectly. And I said to them, why don't we teach it the way we do it? And they said, 
because nobody will get it. Well, at that moment, they're not going to listen to me anyway. So that it really solidified that I was on the right track for changing how I was teaching. I think the second thing that really changed it too, and that this is what I really believe about my career, is that people, when I was first teaching, would come to me and I'd change how they aimed or they did this, and they'd come back a week later. They were still wrong. or They were still misaimed or whatever they were doing. That was fine. I was still collecting the money, getting my, but they were still coming back, not changing anything. And I finally said to myself, am I the stupid one or are they? Well, you'd like to blame, you know, the other person. <laughs> and I finally said to myself, I have to change something because I'm, I think I'm teaching it correctly, but nobody's getting it. And that's not the idea. So that, that in my own head, I really, those two things really solidified with how I, how I teach it and how I think we really need to change how we teach it. And I think this will go to your next question. And I think if we change how we teach it, we're going to get more golfers and especially more women into the game. Yeah. So, you know, you and I met, what was it, a couple of weeks ago at the Links to Leadership Golf Tournament. So for listeners, if you're in the upstate New York area, you have to join us next year. It's called Links to Leadership. It's a charity golf tournament for women. And we do have men play too, which is cool. And as part of the tournament, there's a clinic that Kay ran. And a good friend of mine, Georgia Kelly, is one of the founders of the tournament. And last year, I just volunteered and this year she said, you need to go in the clinic because you've got to learn how to play golf. So in my, you know, 20 plus years in corporate America, I never learned because it was so intimidating and I didn't want to look stupid in front of the men that were playing. But it was always something that I wanted to learn, but it felt complicated. It felt hard and daunting. So Georgia said to me, you need to go into the clinic. Kay's awesome. She's going to show you how to play. So I experienced this golf 8.5 a couple of weeks ago, and it was so easy and fun. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. So Kate, can you break down what, and again, this is both audio and video. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see Kay. If you're listening, picture it. So golf, Kate, break us down what golf 8.5 is. Well, I'm so glad we met at the Links to Leadership Clinic and that you took it, too, because your enthusiasm was just outstanding. Um, golf, the whole industry teaches you or t professes that golf is hard. And I'm like, this isn't good. How are we going to get people into the game if we're t saying this? All right. So golf 8.5 is basically... I'll say very simple. And everybody always goes when they take lessons from me, but this is so simple. I say, I can make it complicated, but we don't have to. <laughs> All right. And you actually look like a golfer now too. And just one, one. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So golf 8.5 basically means there's only four things you do before the swing. And there's only four and a half things you do in the swing. And people go, really? And I go, yep, that's all it is. And the four things you do before the swing are there has to be in the correct order. So my analogy always is typically posture is taught. Well, at the age of one, you learn how to stand up. Nobody told you how to do it. We pretty soon after we've fallen over 750 times, we stood up. Right. The next time we were taught posture was your mother at about the age of 13 told you to stand up taller. <laughs> and then you meet your golf pro. He's now going to teach you posture. Um, it doesn't work. So what we have figured out is that we call it GCAP. If you do something in the right order, 
And if you first grip the club with the club up in the air, that's how the golf professionals do it. They don't put their hands on the club with the club on the ground because you don't look like a golf pro. I mean, you pick it up in the air. You step in and you set the club down as it's designed, which is a big deal. And then you set your feet. You will automatically be put in a perfect posture position without ha- by just changing the order or something. And you experienced it. We had, what, 36 women out there and yeah. one guy. And my guy. <laughs> um, and in a matter of five minutes, everybody looked like they'd been playing for years, even though you were all novices. Right. And yeah, they all did. Yeah. It really was wicked simple. Um, and you, you did make us look good in doing so. Because I felt like, oh, all right. Like, I, I now feel like, well, and we're going to take private lessons as well. But now I feel like I could get out on a course next year and actually play in the tournament. And, you know, then take this with, with women igniting change and really get out there on the golf course with a foursome and know what I'm doing, which is always nice. Well, that, that's exactly right. If you know kind of what you're doing, you can play with anybody in the world. And you don't right. have to play well. You just have to kind of know how to play. And that's one of the biggest things I used to say, um, and I say this to my business partner all the time, is that, I would could play with my mother. She could play with three presidents or former presidents of the United States, and she would just still be able to play. And they'd have a hard time keeping up with her. She didn't play well. I mean, she played okay. She didn't hit it very long, but she knew how to play. And I think, you know, you, you made a comment too about um, looking good. And I always say the name of my company is Education Golf, but the number one rule is you got to look good. So it's like, you know, sometimes when you walk into that boardroom, you might be not knowing what you're doing, but you better walk in like you know what you're doing. Right. Like you own it. Yep. And I say that too. So you walk in the golf course, you got to look like you own it because I'm going to say this about women. We all of a sudden get to this. You might be strong in the boardroom or in a corporate America or globally corporate, but all of a sudden they get in the golf course and they get meek again. And it's like, right. don't do that. I don't care that you can't hit it from here to, you know, that tree. But if you kind of walk and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna tee off first I'm gonna get up there and you're gonna you're gonna be a whole lot better so you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So the the women that you've taught this system, how has that impacted their perception of the game? Well, like you just said, I feel like I we only took a couple hours with me. I feel right. like I go play. I mean that's <clears throat> that's a pretty big deal, you that's know. And you- yeah, you feel like you can play. It may not be the best that you can play, but you can get better at at any skill that you have. So I think that's impacted. Um, well, it, it impacted everybody because golf is traditionally too complicated. They get too mixed up in all this stuff that's going on in your head. And the golf swing is really simple. The game might be difficult to play. You know, you got to know. Uphill, downhill lies. You got to weather. You got distractions like the people you're playing with sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, I, I didn't. The, people are going to ask, "What's the four and a half things you do in the swing?" And this comes from my background in teaching, so I didn't completely answer your question. Forgive me if I'm going backwards a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That we teach any other um, athletic skill or anything in parts, like if you're doing basketball or you're doing. Well, even if you're learning how to paint or you're learning how to sew or you're learning how to work a computer, you do it slowly and you do it in parts. And so we teach the golf swing in four and a half parts. And they're so simple because everyone talks about the ball. 
well, the ball's not moving. <laughs> the ball's not moving it. The thing that's moving is the club. So we want you to understand how to operate the tool first. If you operate the tool like the hammer and the nail, it's going to make it a whole lot easier. So, um, yeah. And you had, it was fun watching people because the first time you guys all held a club and you had, I heard these screams like, oh my God, I hit it. Oh my gosh, I got hit it. <laughs> I just knew. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you've said that you are on a mission to get more women in golf across the United States. So in addition to the perception that golf is hard, what other barriers do you see in women going into the sport? Well, I think most women consider it intimidating. And, mm -hmm. you know, it still is intimidating. It's like you're you're walking into the golf shop or something like that, and it's still a male-dominated kind of atmosphere. It is. To, yeah. I mean, they're trying to change that, but it's it's a slow process. I do think, um, though, the other thing is we can talk about golf course design. Well, first of all, we can talk about teaching. That needs to change, okay? Easy. Which you're on a mission to do. I love it. Okay, I'm, and I'm gonna. It's gonna get done. I'm working on a major, major, major project um, that could could change how globally we learn and teach golf. But the second thing is that golf courses are really designed for men. In what and, way? Okay, it's um, they're sometimes they're too long. Uh, they're the landing spots for men and women are different because of the the distance that we can hit it. But fairways, because of greens mowers today, are cut much shorter. Because of, of the equipment, <laughs> I don't know, you're looking like, what are you talking about? So it's called a tight lie. So fairways are cut with a much tighter lie um, because of the equipment today. And what, what's the difference of that is men are then having to hit a seven, eight, nine iron pitching wedge, but they want it off of, they don't want it off of fluffy grass. They want it off of a tight lie because then they can spin the ball better. But a woman has to hit a longer fairway wood or iron or hybrid. And hitting that off of a really tight lie is a lot more difficult. So they tend to top some shots, which, okay. The other thing is that golf courses are sometimes proportionally longer for women than they are for men. So when I played on the men's mini tour, it was great because I could set my own tees. I wasn't having to play from the same place they were because men are going to be stronger. They're going to hit it farther and longer than I would. So we figured my yardages at about Whatever I was hitting into a green, if the average guy was hitting a seven or an eight iron, that's what I should be hitting. So my tee shot should actually be a lot longer than theirs from the tees I was playing. And the averages came out to about 80 to 82% of where we're the, the, di the difference in distances. Yet tees today, from the forward tees to the white tees, the back tees is what we call them. For women, they're maybe maybe 90 for 90% difference. I mean, it's not enough that the yardages need to be much or need to be shorter. So there's, I think those are the, the factors that kind of keep people away. And so what I told my beginning group of women, they still can't believe it is I have what I come I call my okay rules is that you get to tee everything up. You can tee it up in the golf course if you want for a while. If you're just, if you're just playing for fun, um, you're going to be able to keep up better. You're, you know, people say well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, sure you can. If you're not keeping score and you're doing other things. So for a while, because you want to work on successes, get the golf ball airborne and you can play with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So 
There's there's several factors. I mean, I think I have I'm I'm part of an organization called Women in the Golf Industry, and again, we're trying to connect women who are architects, um, people that sell major equipment. Um, I got a lady that I love. This is my fun one. She sells sand. I said, you sell sand. Yes. Um, (laughs) I know there's golf professionals, but I've got um, in, in our organization, there's four women golf architects and there's very few across the United States. And they're trying to make what uh, one of them, her name is Jan Bell Jan of Jan Bell and design out of Florida. And she's calling them her scoring tees. And so she's setting golf courses up to where you can score. Women can score or anybody can score from these forward tees. And have. And the way she designs golf courses is it's a fair landing spot for the men and a fair landing spot for women and the average distance that you hit. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. So how do you envision the future of golf with more women participating? And what changes do you hope to see in the coming years? Well, if we can get more women participating, some of these changes of how golf course designs, country clubs are really set up, getting more women in leadership positions to even to change things to um, include that. I think one of the biggest things I'd like to see is junior girls golf is that I have a lot of girls that are pretty talented. You saw one of them, Marie Glavin. Yeah. yeah. That's 13. And I've had her since she's four and a half. But she's not just in eighth grade. And these girls have to go on on that. They get to high school and they have to play on the boys team. They don't, mm. they're not enough girls teams or there's not enough girls playing to have a team. Right. So as women, I think we really need to encourage high schools and girls to start playing earlier. To, and it doesn't matter how you play, but just start, you start playing. And I think that that's one thing that we could really do to really have a stronger feeder system. You know, not every girl is going to get on the LPGA tour, but every girl doesn't have to be left at the office as they get into corporate America. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I love that starting them early because, again, then when you get into, you know, your career, you can just get out on the golf course and you're not missing out on those relationships and the conversations and all of the things that women right now are missing out on because they don't play golf. You're absolutely right. I mean, I was offered one of my first jobs with IBM because of two things. I was a woman and I could play golf. Okay. And and that makes a big difference. People think the deals are made on the golf course too. No, what you're doing is you're developing those relationships. Right. You're out there doing something with somebody else. And I think that that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that you really are doing that. I mean, and it's a family thing too. I mean, that's how I started playing. Every Sunday afternoon, we went and played with mom and dad. And, you know, it wasn't always pretty, but we played. And we got our our cheeseburger at the end of it. (laughs) The reward. I love it. The reward. So, yeah. So, in your opinion, how can men in the golf community be better allies and supporters of getting more women involved in golf? That's a good question. I think as parents, you know, I get go back to that, to have their... I mean, I get a lot of the girls that I get and I say, oh, um, who plays golf? My dad. Well, let's get mom playing golf, too. And I think, you know, to, to, that's what happens with, let's say, a lot of women is I, I get the answer. They're now they're now coming out of retirement. The kids are off in college. They're in their 20s. And now they're starting to take up golf. Well, they probably needed to take it up as, as a family unit. And that's something that, you know, they could actually do. Um 
you know, I had my parents who encouraged us just to play everything. And I think that that really helped. Um, I also had some, some good men bosses that there was a few times we weren't treated equally, but sometimes we were. One of the first bosses I had, he hired me as an experiment in the golf shop, which wasn't, I almost, <laughs> you know, in the interview, I almost jumped across the desk and strangled him. But we became fast friends later and taught me some good lessons. So I think even in the Links to Leadership tournament that we just had, um, you know, we had a lot of men that are playing and they're really supporting women because the charity was for uh, what's called WORK, Women's Employment Resource Center, uh, again, which creates opportunities for women to get out there and get, the, get their sea legs back. I'll put it that way. Um, I, I wish, like, um, I could get more men to listen to how we teach it simply. Um, I have some men that I've trained that are on my staff or my master certified golf 8.5ers that are actually veterans and um, they weren't teaching it this way. And once they listen to me, they go, the one guy goes, now he, he goes to all of his people and he goes, this is the way we're only going to teach golf now. This is it. And he truly believes it. And he had been teaching for 40 some years. So by just, I think, having some teachers listen a little bit better and open themselves up and say, I wonder why this works so well. I think that they can become better teachers for women because we have a lot more men than our teachers out there. There's 28,000 uh, PGA, LPGA. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing we could do too is really watch women's golf on TV. It's outstanding or watch it in person. It, uh, you can go to the Epson tour now, which is a great place to really watch golf. And these women can play golf today. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing when you see it. So I think those are. I love cool. that. You, you mentioned to me when we went out to lunch last week, you mentioned to me that um, like the shirt that you're wearing now. And for our listeners, Kay has a, a branded shirt that says golf 8.5, similar to me. We brand everything. Um, but you said you walked into a conference with branded shirt on golf 8.5 and not one male in the room said, okay, what is that? Or tell me a little bit more about that, um, which I just found baffling. So, uh, I, you know, to your point of like, even having them be a little bit more curious as to that there could be a different way to do it <laughs> might be helpful. Well, you're right. I was, I did, it was a, it was a conference, a professional golf conference. I'll just leave it at that. And yeah, I have, like I said, I got golf 8.5 on my shirt, on my visor, on my jacket, on my vest. You know, I, I get, the only place I don't have it is, you know, where, but anyway, um, and, and I was surprised over a two and a half day conference that no one asked me what golf 8.5 was. And I went, it was like shocking. And these are some of the, the best minds in the, in the golf industry. And I, you know, that, as a teacher, I think you need to be curious. If you don't know something, ask and find out more information about it. So I went to uh, lunch the other day, a very, very nice restaurant down in Kingston. And the waiter goes, can I finally ask what golf 8.5 is? I'm like, oh, my God, we sat and stood up. We gave him a hug. <laughs> because the, and he really wanted to know. And and that's that's what's interesting because of his curiosity to golf. So 
Um, yeah. Th- those types of things I think should change. Sometimes I think as a, as a male teacher, their, their, their ego gets a little bit in the way. Yeah. There's a, there's a workshop that we teach called the bigger game. And one of the core principles of the bigger game is that it can't be business as usual. And sometimes we become so ingrained in the status quo and business as usual that we can't even see another way because it, you know, the male teachers have done it this way for decades. It works in their opinion. So they don't even see golf 8.5. They don't even see that there could be a different way to do it. Yeah. And that's, you know, if I go back to how I had to change, I had to, when people weren't getting it as a teacher, I really had to say to myself, well, I need to change something then I needed to change. And I think you're right that people, they've been doing it this way for so long. They just think it's the right way. And it's like, you need to really, as a teacher, challenge yourself more to be better. What I do, what I used to do, and I do this with people that I'm training, we we evaluate each other. I want to get better. I I think I'm good now, but I want to get better. And they'll say, hey, why did you do it that way? I go, I don't know. And that wasn't very good. So you can't let your own ego get in your way, I think, is really a big thing. Because it's really about the other person. It's not about me. Right. I want to get you better. I want to get rid of you faster than I want to. <laughs> I mean that seriously. I mean, I don't want, if you want to come back and get, everybody can always get better, but I, my, that's my goal. You understand it. You get better. You go away. There's more of you. <laughs> yep, I love it. I love it. So for those that are inspired by our conversation today, what would be the first actionable step that they can take to either get into golf or advocate for more women in the sport? I think, well, to again, bring in a junior, go play with somebody, grandparents, go play with a child, but make it, make it easy. Make them move up to the green. I think, you know, we, we teach it wrong that everybody has to be back on the tee and then they have to hit it a gazillion times. Right. Um, you know, go start at the green and work your way backwards. The golf, the golf should be taught from the hole backwards, not from the tee forward. Um, I do think that I, and I, and I offer this too, because I do like you do it. I used to do during COVID, especially I did a Q and a with KN Fridays and just for anybody to come and just talk and ask questions about how do I play? How do I find a teacher? How do I do this? Because I now do online lessons, which really helps too. Um, so we, to advocate, they just have to get exposed. I, and I tell people if they want to take golf lessons, they really should go interview the golf pro first mm-hmm. and not just assume not just assume because it's not you know as you know teaching it's not always a good match or um and i say interview them or just go watch them teach and find out if the person looks like they're getting better and they're having fun those two things if right. that's the case then then try it um but i also feel that one of the things that my golf professionals could do is that I always say, if you don't like what I have to say, or you think it's a bad lesson, you don't pay. Like, you know, if you had a bad steak, you wouldn't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But we always end up paying for it. So I think <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad lesson. And sometimes you don't know that you're getting a bad lesson. Right. Uh, so I think interviewing um, things like, things like that. Mm-hmm. Lots. Mm-hmm. So we are going to have um, Kay's 
lengthy bio outside of the snippets that I gave you at the beginning of this podcast. We'll have Kay's bio. We're going to have links to Education Golf, Golf 8.5, all of her social media channels. If you do live in the Northeast, or actually, it doesn't matter because you do online lessons. So if you live anywhere, you can take lessons from Kay. Uh, again, she's a blast. You are so much fun. I had so much fun learning how to play golf, and now I can't wait to take my own lessons. So we will have all of the resources in the show notes, and we will see you back here next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Women Igniting Change. I know creating change matters to you. If you enjoy what we talk about on the show, please take one action today and share it with someone who could benefit from listening. Until next time, keep standing up and speaking out for what matters.